0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point of sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch Online at BoschSecurity.com.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of LPRC's Crime Science Podcast today, our latest uh, episode in the weekly update series uh, joined by my colleagues, Tony Nofrio, Tom Bean, and by our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And we're going to kind of take a quick look around the world at some of the things that seem the most important uh, for all of us that are working in this very, very interesting, but very critical space called Loss Prevention Asset Protection um, and the retail community primarily. So, um, We'll start off taking a little bit of a look here at the at what's going on with the ongoing pandemic, and I can tell you that we got an interesting uh, email all staff and faculty and uh, students at the University of Florida on Friday, uh, where the university, based on all from a world-class uh, epidemi- uh, epidemiology institute that we've got here, the Emerging Pathogens Institute, um, announced that the university, effective Friday, um, we're now treating the disease as endemic uh, and no longer a pandemic uh, as far as this community was concerned. And this is a very um, uh, you know, neutral to left uh, community, so this is not a political decision. Um, this is a, uh, a science base is what they were telling us, the evidence that they were seeing um, both here in the Gainesville, North Central Florida area, as well as around the world. And so they immediately discontinued all the routine testing. I would get tested every week and um, so on. Now, what remains in place, um, you can get a test at the student student health center. Um, uh, It's not going to be easy, but you can get it. uh, And they recommend it other places if you really wanted to get tested. Um, If you feel sick, stay home. Uh, They do expect, but not mandate, never have mandated, but expect uh, masks to be worn in all Enclosed areas, um, and so uh, just a big change here. Uh, looking at the infection rates, looking at the seriousness of the disease that uh, UF Health is dealing with, which is a ultra modern, sprawling medical complex, and, um, and so they really have the, their bead, their um, a bead on what's going on infectious uh, disease wise, as well as um, how that's affecting other other things that are going on health wise in the community. So big news, at least for us here in Gainesville, um, and and so part and parcel of all this, we were anyway going to go ahead and look at having LPRC ignite uh, as a physical event, with some of the sessions being virtual uh, due to some of our members that just are not permitted yet to travel, or there was some inconvenient conflict uh, with travel, and so uh, and then we had to make the decision where we're we going to move back just to accommodate more or not, and. It turned out that it it sounded like the best thing for us to do was to maintain the uh, February 15th and 16th dates. With um, So, that's what we're doing with 2022 version of the LPRC kickoff. I think we've got about now 30 people registered. Uh, This is not a numbers game with this. This is our leadership gathering. Uh, We have our board of advisors. We have our LPRC innovate advisory panel, which is also mission critical here for us. Um, And then we have our working group leaders uh, that are all the ones that are tabbed to come in. And part of the, uh, what we do, of course, are are deep dives into all parts of operations, research and innovation at the LPRC, where we are, uh, where we've been last year, where we're headed and um, looking for advice and counsel, laying out the strategy, the plan, the process that uh, our team has put together Um, That will all continue. We also have a a two hour strategy at Ignite. Um, We always have strategy at Impact as well. Um, We've got two uh, world class faculty from the University of Florida's Warrington College of Business from their Entrepreneur um, and Entrepreneurship and Innovation uh, Institute. Those two faculty will be um, leading that group of number ones, twos and threes. the leaders that we've got here in town through a really exciting exercise on strategic forecasting, strategic planning within how to better support. But really, uh, just talking and letting everybody talk for within two hours, we'll have one hour of content, leaving us to have a lot of dialogue with a lot of leaders. So we're very, very excited about it. We're going to have an event, a social event up in the Champions Club in the Swamp, the stadium. Uh, those of you that have come to LPRC Impact, or remember, we always have that. Uh, social event uh, in recent years up in that uh, Champions Club, so we're excited about all the possibilities, the labs, the tours, the things we'll be doing. Um, I think are going to, uh, to put it bluntly, blow some people away with the new capabilities and things that are happening here at the LPRC. Um, I think looking ahead, um, we're looking at uh, a SOC and Summit uh, uh, Conference or Summit here uh, at the University of Florida, too. Date to be determined, we'll put that out but in this case, we will be looking at an array of indoor and outdoor uh, sensors that are here, that are elsewhere. Uh, we'll have some technical folks, engineer types from IoT, you know, Internet of Things and AI, IoT, um, but uh, we're gonna have a very focused agenda looking at security operation centers or command centers and how to pull together all the disparate sensors and action tools that we've got how to make sense of them, how to integrate them at each aiming point uh, through the five zones, and then how to integrate across that uh, and how this all supports uh, safer places uh, and better commerce. So um, stay tuned with more information on the LPRC SOC and uh, sensor summit uh, S3 that will be coming up. We uh, have plans right now that we're working on with the ISCPO since we uh, are working together now uh, both on a gathering, but also on integration within the um, monthly LPRC uh, supply chain protection working group. So Diego, who's our producer, also facilitates uh, that pretty amazing working group and all that they get done. Uh, so we'll have some more details on that. Uh, working with Basha and one of our new research scientists, Dr. Sarah McFann, uh, we're doing some are preparing to get some heavy-duty planning done on the LPRC violent crime working group summit as well as of course the strategy and process of that working group Um, uh, lprc members will note that all of our working group calls now that take place on microsoft teams um, that we will be having polling and other features in there to allow even more participation um, and engagement for all members of the working groups Uh, working groups are open to all of our lprc members it's a family uh, membership to the gym here called LPRC. And uh, so all of our retailers and solution partner members are encouraged to get their people into any and all the working groups that make the most sense for them, uh, strategically and tactically. Uh, planning the product protection um, working group uh, mission as well as their summit. So Dr. Corey Lowe and that group of stellar leaders there. Uh, you'll see the same thing now with innovation working group, and that's at SOCKIN's sensor summit so the those of you that are in or think about joining that group um, you'll see a huge play there Uh, esri the world leader in mapping um, in mapping software and all the mapping tools um, including ai reinforced tools just joined the lprc Um, orion uh, another one of our new research uh, team members joined yesterday actually today's his first official day but he was there in the labs pretty excited yesterday i um, <clears throat> sitting down and doing the planning with Esri and other members of the innovation working group on this world class uh, mapping process. We already have also a real world case study, a series of armed robberies taking place currently in South Florida. Um, of one of our members chains, so mapping all of that retailers stores, uh, other similar stores, uh, some dissimilar stores or other targets, um, and then looking spatially and temporally how these are moving, looking at all types of patterns. So we're not only gonna do 3D drone mapping of the LPRC and the University of Florida Safer Places Lab, which is gonna be pretty amazing. Uh, We'll get that done in about 60 days here or less, uh, but now integrating this real world use case. Um, So uh, I'm just touching on just a little tiny bit of what all is happening. Uh, We mentioned before at the LPRC kickoff in New York City hosted, in this case, by AXIS at their Experience Center in Manhattan. We laid out the uh, 2022 draft research uh, plan, and um, that's, of course, going to be fleshed out, refined um, during the uh, Board of Advisors and the LPRC Innovate uh, Advisory Panel meetings to make sure that we're good to go. Um, Some more technology on the way, uh, can't disclose yet in the form of servers and GPUs, um, but things are happening here and uh, are a good problem, but we're just trying to find places for all of our team, new team members to <clears throat> sit and be the most productive that they can um, since we're heavy on lab space and short on office space, um, but we're making it happen uh, in the assembling desk yesterday, uh, all of us, so uh, let me do this. I'm not gonna talk as much about uh, Omicron and the Omicron variant, and, some of the things are going on, the vaccines, um, but we know that there are now several billion uh, humans around the world that have been vaccinated and hundreds of millions of Americans. So um, that seems to be progressing. We know that there are 75 preclinical vaccine candidates additionally in uh, happening, that type of preclinical research, um, and that we see 110 uh, in clinical human clinical trials right now. So all types of help in the way, more and more therapeutics. Uh, for those of us that, that do contract the disease uh, that we can take immediately or if it does progress. Um, so some of that help is on the way. More and more home uh, tests that are even more and more accurate <clears throat> are being distributed. So those that feel bad can take that action. So uh, and N95 and other KN95 and other more effective masks have been gone, you know, in mass production is caught up. And you, so you see those being distributed everywhere. Uh, for tight constricted places. So uh, with no further ado, if I might uh, go over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you could take it away.
2: Thank you very much, Reed, and good update. And I'm looking forward to Ignite. I think it will be another great continuation. I'm really pleased with what happened in New York. Congratulations on all those attendees. And uh, my thank you to Access also for hosting, but that's uh, a That sounds like a very exciting start, and I'm sorry I missed it, but we had representation there. So let me jump this week actually first to the World Economic Forum and Visual Capitalist, who provided a summary of the latest uh, global risks uh, and also for this year and for 2022 and beyond. In the just published report, a majority of global leaders feel worried or concerned about the outlook for the world and only 3.7% feel optimistic, which shocked me that there'd be that low of a percentage. When it comes to short-term threats, which are defined as those happening in the next two years, respondents identify societal risks, such as the erosion of social cohesion and livelihood crises as the most immediate risks to the world. These societal risks have worsened since the start of COVID-19, According to the respondents, one problem triggered by the pandemic is rising inequality both worldwide and within countries. Many developed economies managed to adapt as office workers pivoted to remote and hybrid work, uh, though many industries such as hospitality still face significant headwinds. Easy access to vaccines that have, has helped developed countries mitigate the worst effects of the outbreaks. Regions with low access to vaccines have not been so fortunate and the economic divide could become more apparent as the pandemic stretches on when it comes to the midterm, which are defined uh, as those things in the next two to five years. Similar risks to the short term are prevalent uh, and uh, and really were identified by the respondents. The pressing issues caused by COVID mean that many key government and decision-makers are struggling to prioritize long-term planning and no longer have the capacity to help out with global issues. Responders also worry that rising debt have triggered a crisis. The debt-to-GDP ratio globally spiked by 13 percentage points in 2020, a figure that will almost certainly continue to rise in the near future. For the long-term, which is anything in five to ten years from now, responded identified climate change as the biggest threat to humanity. Climate inaction essentially business as usual could lead to a global GDP loss of four to eighteen percent with various impact across different regions. So that's a little bit of a view in terms of short, medium, and long-term risks that we face globally going forward. Interesting to me, specifically to LPRC, was an article that a friend sent to me switching topics on shoplifting losses. It's an article that appeared in the denverchannel.com and it was titled, Downtown uh, Business Owner to Charge 1% Fee to Recover Shoplifting Losses. In summary, this uh, business owner said that shoplifting and his stores have gotten so bad and he's having to charge customer fee to make up the, the, the cost. He called it the Denver Crime Spike Fee which equals to a 100% transaction fee for all items that are purchased in his stores. Since 2019, he said shoplifting at his downtown stores um, have tripled, and he said that's about six figures, and, and for a small business, that is meaningful. It impacts our employees, and more importantly, it's not going to impact our shoppers. So it's interesting how the spikes in crime are, are not just with the flash rods but also in shoplifting and how retailers are reacting. And finally, this week, let me focus on a new report just published by NRF and Apprease Retail that summarizes returns, retail returns for the last year in the retail industry, uh, total returns, uh, total of over 600, $761 billion in lost sales for U.S. retailers. For every $1 billion in sales, the average retailer incurs $166 million in merchandise returns. For every 100 in return merchandise accepted, retailers lose $10.30 to return fraud, and receipt returns that are hidden costs equal to behaviors such as shoplifting, collusion, wardrobing, and more. In 2021, consumers, as I said, return 761 billion, which is 16.6% of total retail sales of those, and that's a big number, 78.4 billion were fraudulent. For the holidays, consumers returned 158 billion dollars, or roughly nearly 18% of sales. Of those returns, 17 billion were fraudulent. Online returns totaled 218 billion. Uh, which was nearly 20%, uh, actually nearly 21% of total online sales. And $23.2 billion of online returns were fraudulent. The top three um, return uh, experienced by retailers, and these were interesting, wardrobing, which is one of my favorite ways you buy stuff such as clothes, you try it on, actually you use it, and then you return it. Uh, returned, so that's number one. The second is returned by shoplift returned of shoplifted or stolen merchandise. Number three is em- and uh, is employed return fraud and/or collusion with external sources, and tied with number three is returned of merchandise purchased on fraudulent or stolen tenders. What are some of the return costs? So what does return cost really cost? Uh, first of all, a return is a lost sale. Cash profits and margin percentages are reduced. Returns increase labor costs due to inspection and restocking time. Returns cause markdowns out of stocks and logistics expenses to increase, and returns cannot be resold. So So, in closing, this is really good data that we need to keep in mind here at the LPRC as we work to come back multiple of the items discussed in this week's update. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Oh,
3: thank you, Reed, and thank you, Tony. And just a, a couple updates here. And again, some of them will be updates from previous conversations that we've had here on the podcast. One, uh, if it, this did make national news, but certainly in the Northeast, made more news than other places. But two nurses uh, from New York were arrested for selling about one and a half million dollars worth of fake uh, COVID vaccination cards. And I know we've been following the fake COVID vaccination card from the beginning. Um, really, really, uh, I think, you know, 90 some odd weeks ago, we we talked about that. Once the vaccination started rolling, this was happening. But now you have uh, two nurses that were arrested. The interesting part and in the, the story has a little bit of a twist to it is that one of the nurse's husbands is actually a police officer. So I think there's more to come on the story and unfolds whether or not um, the he'll be implicated at all uh, is left open still. But when you think about um, one and a half million dollars to individuals selling that many um, that many fake vaccination cards, and they actually kept a ledger. So interestingly enough, when um, we talk about uh, we talk about these things all the time, uh you know, criminals aren't always smart about the way they activate, especially uh, do things, especially when they get um, comfortable. but they had a handwritten ledger. and so, uh, A lot of the major news publications actually had a photo of that hand ledger explaining how much they were making, what they were doing, uh, what they were charging. Um, Adults were $220 and $85 for kids. So think about, think through that. So $220 per card for an adult and and $85. They actually said they seized $900,000 in cash in one of the two's home. So I think there will definitely be more to more stories like this servicing. But as we talk about um, vaccination requirements, um, the need for some folks to get a fake vaccination card is there. It also kind of shows the level. Um, if you think about two individuals being able to sell this many, the level of people out there that are willing to purchase a, a vaccination card. I think we often talk about the people selling it and don't really talk about the purchaser of it. And this is, you know, quasi kind of example of like e-fencing you have to address both sides of the the fence here in order to solve the issue because as long as there's a buyer there'll be people selling so this is a a tough one but i think we'll definitely as we continue to go further along and have more electronic verification available which i think has come a long way this will subside or transition into an electronic problem where people are trying to emulate or replicate cards there Um, We talked uh, very, very briefly last week about tax scams. And I think it's a stark reminder that they continue to come out. One thing that's just came out last week um, after we we did the taping is the deepfake. So if you're not familiar with the deepfake, generally it refers to a video where someone is using artificial intelligence and machine learning to emulate and, and replace a head on a video to make it look like someone else. There's also deepfake audio. So one of the the warnings that that came out is to limit the conversation if someone calls in. So don't have banter with a fraudster on the phone because they could be trying to replicate your voice. It sounds pretty crazy, but um, you know, a lot of times we engage in folks on the phone even if we even if we recognize that it is a scam. Uh, but the the kind of advice is to just end the call. Don't continue to keep talking. Don't verify you are who you say you are things of that nature to try to avoid that. Good thing here is that while this is definitely the future that's coming, the voice verification is generally used in the financial sector and not necessarily uh, widely adopted through um, the IRS. So I think we'll continue to see um, the bad guys kind of doing what we're doing here, right? We'll read the uh, start of the conversation talking about innovate and, and AI solve and as we're continuing to try to come up with better mouse traps, for lack of better words, um, unfortunately, the nefarious actors are spending that same amount of time trying to find ways around what we're doing. Uh, education and awareness is the key when it comes to some of these kind of tax pieces. So, while it's repetitive, I think it, it it's a, a stark reminder for all of us that if you do get a phone call that you're not expecting, that you just bait, I would recommend ignoring it and then reaching back out directly to a verified source. Um, on the COVID front, just because I, I think it's a really cool, the techie type conversation, Reed talked about testing. Although this is in the very, very early stages, there is where you know a wearable device and actually a phone app that is being tested um, right now to det- early indication of COVID. Um, there is actually a couple companies that are are coming out and working through that. Uh, I would be um, misinforming you if I could tell you the specifics because this is very new. I do know that um, Smart lamp, which is one of the apps, um, I've seen similar technologies to check body temperature and pulse by the you know extreme color changes in your skin. Um, If everybody's not aware uh, today that's listening, you can actually get a fairly accurate pulse reading using your cell phone camera, both with your finger or even looking at your face. And what it does is it uses a very, very detailed image and an advanced algorithm to look at slight color changes that the human eye would not uh, detect. So very exciting to see the technology pushed to the limit. And I think one of the really great things, if you can take something great out of COVID, is that it will advance um dramatically some of the vaccination efforts related to cancer and HIV. And it also will advance some of the wearable technologies that were focused on other ailments to help uh, really uh, escalate or you know move at a much faster rate because of the pandemic that I think is turning to an endemic. So it's definitely exciting stuff when you think of that. Um, just a quick update on kind of the Russia Ukraine conflict. Um, There's been, uh, while I'll say their reports, they're not necessarily firmly substantiated yet that um, the Department of Homeland Security and really um, a couple other three letter organizations have made a very uh, bold statement publicly that they believe Russia will uh, launch uh, fairly sophisticated cyber attacks against critical American infrastructure. So U.S. intelligence agencies are bracing for that. There is no real specificity to that. We did talk a little bit about before last week. We did when um, the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency sent out the alert. We mentioned it on the podcast briefly. But as the tensions uh, rise in the U- Ukraine and Russia, um, there is a, a lot of information to support that Russia may take. Uh, a, a stance of cyber attacks against the U.S. Traditionally, and I'm making a, a general statement, when you find from that, what you find from that region is that they are not necessarily nation-state. Um, you know, they're not necessarily always nation-state attacks. There are some nefarious actors in that region um, that really are very sophisticated and take an a attack for a financial gain, as we saw with the uh, Colonial Pipeline and some of the other things that occurred. Uh, Revel and, and JBS, the beef plant and last year. Those were um, not believed to be Russian backed, although there is a belief that Russia would have known. So we'll keep, we'll watch this space as the podcast and kind of uh, continue to give updates because we do think that there will be an impact here. And then we'll also watch the global supply chain space and the impact that the Ukraine conflict could have on that. And I mentioned it again briefly last week, uh, but a lot of the goods that travel from China to Europe uh, do have to go just north of the Ukraine, but they also have to go through Russia. In addition to the ports in the Ukraine and actually the ports uh, throughout uh, Central and Eastern Europe, actually, really all of that area, um, there's question of what will occur in the future. The Chinese Navy has been. Been pretty consistently in that region in the water, but the Russian Navy has extremely uh, increased its fleet in that area. So we'll keep a pulse on it because it could have an impact on us. So we we know that uh, with all of the things that occurred uh, in the last 24 months, supply chain has been a challenge, and the domino effect is obviously a concern of you know what will occur if this does happen. There are a fair amount of goods that are manufactured in that in that region and certainly China does supply a lot of them and then I'll end the conversation with a recent report on ransomware and retail was in the top three most attacked um, verticals in ransomware so I think we've talked we've talked about that um, uh, a couple different times there's two different reports that really came out recently it's important to note that we don't know the sample size of these reports so when I read reports, I'm always looking to see how big of a pool uh, of a sample size that they used. But both of these reports, one actually says um, that retail was, you know, accounted for the top three. Another report says that there are 50 percent that are unclassified and then there are five categories. And the other thing retail was in both of those categories. And it kind of makes sense uh, when we think about it and we talk about it uh, with ransomware. Ransomware is Generally, and this is, again, not always the case, but most of the time sent, there's an email sent that's a phishing email, and it gets someone to execute code, or on a, a USB drive or a file, there are a whole bunch of different ways that it happens, and then what happens is malicious code is on your system, and it encrypts your files, and then, you know, basically creates a ransom, whether an electronic note that says you have to pay this. Uh, we know that there were several uh, corporate entities, and even some government and and both local and state government uh, facilities that had significant attacks last year. And, um, so this is a major threat. And the landscape for retail is large, right? If you think about the number of people that have emails, the number of people that have access to machines, um, the, this is definitely not a surprise on my, on my side. Looking at it, it just kind of is, again, that that same, although repetitive reminder that If you're not expecting a file, don't don't click on it and take that extra 15 to 30 seconds to send a text message to an individual to validate, hey, send something, I wasn't expecting it. I know that sounds uh, silly, but it it really is one of the the ways to protect it. And um, I think today, much like we talk about mass fatigue, there is cyber incident fatigue. Um, And what ends up happening in these scenarios is I think we we sometimes allow ourselves to say, "Well, we might get attacked, so um, I'm going to maybe cut a corner or do something differently because it's inevitable." Um, and what I encourage everybody to do here on, on the call and on the podcast is just to s- stay vigilant in what you're doing, uh, making sure that you're, you know, looking at emails from where they come from, because a ransomware attack is not only costly but extremely disruptive to any business, any academic institution, really anybody, including personal folks, because uh, there's an emotional tie of, I can't get my things back. There's a time and there's a financial piece. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Reed. All right, thanks so much, Tom. And thank you, Tony, for
1: so many great insights. Um, Again, as always, if you're interested in learning more about how to become engaged or get your team engaged for their individual professional development, for your problem solving uh, as a team, as an enterprise, we're always at LPRC, and we are LPResearch.org. Uh, reach out, please, to operations at LPResearch.org. Uh, we always want to hear your questions, your comments, your ideas, your suggestions. So, um, everybody, stay safe out there and stay in touch. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more Crime Science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.